Be good. <laughs> Hello there, friends. It's your pal, Andrew, on the Monkey Tooth Podcast. I'm super glad you're here today. I'm bringing you this episode from Bombay Beach, California. I'm with my friend Tal Ruspoli, and we're working on a fun-ass project. And I'm so grateful for this opportunity, and uh, I'm grateful to have had the opportunity to interview the guy that you're about to listen to, Mr. Kyle Tierman. I know both Tao and Kyle because of Dr. Christopher Ryan, uh, who, as always, is like um, the reason this podcast is um, is still happening, probably. I don't know. But he's certainly the reason for a number of our interesting guests, not the least of whom is Kyle. I met Kyle a couple days ago on my way down here. I stopped in Santa Cruz, and um, we had breakfast. We uh, shot the shit on Mike for a little while, and I had to go. And it was a, it was a great, uh, in spite of the fact it was a little bit rushed, it didn't feel rushed. It was just the right amount of time, because Kyle is awesome. He's a real sweet guy, very thoughtful, very interested in other people, um, and is just trying to do the right thing out there in the world. You know, I, I met him... Uh, when he was putting together the Motherfucker Awards, but we didn't really get much time to hang out because he's a busy, busy guy. And uh, in the throes of what looked like a very difficult endeavor, putting together an award show. But uh, he still made time. He made me feel welcome and appreciated. And um, the guy is just, uh, he's a real genuine article. He's generous with both his time and his stuff. And I'm going to plug one of his sponsors, who uh, we're not sponsored by these guys, but I like their products. And uh, Kyle was nice enough to give me one of their products. SC Medicinals, Santa Cruz Medicinals. They make CBD oils. And I asked Kyle where I could get some. And he's like, well, you can get it online. Go to their website. But here, just have this. And he gave me a vaporizer pen that is uh, fantastic, man. I've been smoking this stuff for a few days now. It doesn't get you high. But um, it calms me down. I didn't smoke any today. Actually, might be a little bit edgy. <laughs> Maybe I'll smoke some as soon as I get off this uh, this monologue. But anyhow, uh, I, I like it. I really genuinely like it. It's good stuff. It makes me feel uh, feel relaxed, and I need that sometimes. So thanks, Kyle, for giving me that. Thanks, SC Medicinals, for making it. And thank you, weirdos, for tuning into this show and listening makes me feel good to know you're out there. If you want to let me know directly that you're there, you can write me a letter at mtp.dog forward slash contact and uh, tell me what you think. Give me some feedback. Um, quick update. Tiffany's doing great. She's in San Francisco uh, working at a hospital. Pele and I are down here in the Salton Sea having a great time working hard and playing and all is well. Thanks to you out there for supporting us. That's why things are going well, because you're out there and you're listening and you're making us feel like this crazy endeavor is worth it. 
So we appreciate that. I'm going to shut up now because it's a good idea and because I really can't wait to give you Kyle Tierman because he's fantastic. Hope you're doing fun and interesting things. We love you. And until next time, bye-bye. We ask him to keep doing the dishes the whole time. It makes it sound like we're at a restaurant. Right. Yeah. (laughs) As long as... Check, check, check. As as long as you give people uh, a little background as to what the situation is, a little ambient noise can be really cool. I like it. I I did a good podcast um, a little while back on a hunting trip, and uh, I just brought all my gear along all all day. Um, And the other guy who who I was going with... We just sat down and you could hear the birds chirping oh, in the background. Awesome. We set the scene. We were up on this big mountain on the big island. Nice. Is that the character with the uh, the jerky company? The- no, that's a, that's a different one. But oh. um, I recorded another podcast with him while we were on the hunt. Uh, it was actually with uh, he and a guy named Shane Dorian and Mark Healy. They're two big wave surfers who oh, are nice. also hunters. Um, there's an interesting crossover culture between surfing yeah. and hunting. Well, that's a perfect place to start. Thank you, <clears throat> Kyle, for one, for taking the time to talk to me. I know our time is short, so I'm gonna get right to it. I've talked to a bunch of like uh, sort of adventure sport athletes, uh, but mostly it's been um, on the podcast climbers. And I've been dying to talk to a surfer, so to get to talk to you is like a, a huge treat. Not to just immediately kiss your ass in <laughs> the sure. beginning of this podcast, but. Uh, I have no, I've, I've surfed once, a grand total of one time, and it uh, kicked my ass. I mean, it was so difficult just to even get out to get to the wave. So uh, I mean, if you can take me kind of on your surfing journey, when, when did you start? started surfing when I was about nine years old, um, very early. I'm the youngest of five, a um, bunch of big brothers and sisters who surfed and skated. So from yeah. a very early age, I uh, had a surfboard in one hand and a skateboard in the other. Nice. Um, and... You know, we, uh, as much as it is a a personal journey, I think that growing up, it's just a social journey. That's where I found all my friends. There's a lot of time in between catching waves when you're just sitting out there waiting for waves. One of the first things that you'll find out when you start surfing is that, um, you know, riding the wave isn't actually the hardest part. It's figuring out where the wave is going to be and putting yourself in that position to be able to catch it on your own. That takes... Um, not only a lot of paddle strength, but just understanding of the ocean. Yeah. Like if, you know, we, it's like, uh, you know, someone who, <clears throat> who's new to reading the news, they'll maybe not understand the, f- the full story when they read it. And then when you become more literate in um, understanding the news cycle, how, posi- how, how journalists will structure stories, then maybe you're understanding like, more like 100% of it. And then if you're a journalist yourself, like you know, someone like Matt Taibbi, he's seeing 130% yeah. of what's <laughs> in that story. Yeah. And uh, I feel like it's similar with surfing and ocean conditions, where like if you um, didn't grow up around the ocean, all you're seeing is just this chaotic mess out in the ocean. And then the more... Um, time you spend out there, the more you'll be able to notice patterns like, oh, I see that the waves are breaking here consistently. That's where I'm going to want to be when this next set comes. Um, You know, if the swell is coming in more from the north rather from the south, the waves are breaking uh, a little bit more in this direction. And then you start spending enough time there that, you know, you just, you start seeing these little ripples of water here and there 
that most people would just never pay attention to and that starts to mean a whole lot to you i mean there's a there's an amount of reading but there's also an amount of being taught to read uh yeah and so who was it your brothers and sisters your dad friends just watching older guys in the water like how'd you learn that language yeah i mean when i was even before i started surfing on my own when i was nine my big brother would put me on the front of his surfboard and paddle me around and then he'd say all right pop up kyle and then he'd pop me up uh in front of him so uh yeah and then um a lot of friends growing up um in santa cruz just uh kind of fell in love with with it you know it's it becomes really fun after the first i would say year or two when you become more capable of catching waves more consistently and uh riding you know actually doing the fun part um but then it also takes you to these really amazing places and that was just as much of um the draw for me was that you know you if you really get committed to finding good waves around the world um it takes you to these spaces that you otherwise really wouldn't go, you know, down at the Southern tip of Chile or out on a random Island in the middle of Indonesia. And it, um, I think kind of similarly to what we were talking about earlier in the way that this podcast is providing this impetus for you to meet new people and dive more deeply into good conversations with them, having the impetus of finding good waves on trips allows you to just, take these chances that you otherwise wouldn't take. Yeah. Uh, my very incredibly limited experience with surfing, it showed me like to have waterfront properties. Great. You've got this ocean view. It's incredible. But if you go out in the ocean and turn around and look at that property, it's way better that you're in the ocean. That was my favorite part of it. Like yeah, I finally got out past the waves and turned around and got to look at the beach and that like just calmly sitting on something floating and looking at the beach and the hills in the background and all the, that was my favorite bit of it. I I managed to get on my feet. That was about it. I could not, there was no, I would not call it surfing. I would just call it being like guided in on wood yeah. to crash. But, but yeah, just the, that was v- the, best part. the views, man, yeah. those views that you get. I um, get a lot of my, I cajole a lot of my larger podcast guests um, to be on my show by offering them a free surf yeah, lesson. That's great. And it's really amazing. A lot of people have that same response is that, yeah, catching the wave was fun, but just being out there and feeling it all just fall away. For sure. Um, It's so immediate that Mm -hmm. that happens for people. And and it's also, I think, uh, it's so easy for me to push people into a few waves, but um, the ocean's also a very dangerous element. And and, um, if you go out there not knowing what you're doing it can be really terrifying there's this joke that uh surfers use uh, why is uh air a lot like sex because it's no big deal until you're not getting any <laughs> yeah yeah uh and you know i te- guess technically sex can kill you your sex can kill you. Yeah. if you're having the kind of sex that can violently thrash you about like a wave like, yeah. <laughs> tell me more uh we'll, we'll just skip all the other three subjects and you can tell me about that right now the um I want. To, I do want to talk to you about that, the danger aspect of it, because you went from, you know, like hanging out with your brother on the front of a surfboard to surfing Mavericks, which if people listening to this podcast may not be as hip as as your as your listeners, but uh, Mavericks. I mean, it's like the, some of the largest waves, definitely in this up in the in North America. Yeah, yeah, in the world, and it's uh, a spot about an hour north of Santa Cruz. Uh, it's a really unique wave in the way that it breaks in basically the same spot every single time and you can get waves that are 
upwards of 60 feet on the biggest days. Um, and the reason that it's special that it breaks in the same spot every time is because catching a wave that big is really hard. It's, it becomes infinitely more difficult to position yourself in the right place. Um, and when you can kind of predict where a wave that large is going to break and paddle your little tush off and actually catch one, yeah. um, it's a really ex it's a cool experience because you just go so fast. I, you, I mean, you are just going mock speed down the face of this wave yeah. and um it's a very i mean it, it's such a personal experience to be able to decide that you want to go on a wave that big um and still you, you know there's this level of commitment where you decide okay i'm gonna go on this wave but also still have the nuance to understand that maybe it's a wave that you don't want to go on and have a fraction of a second to decide um is uh it's it's cool man it's it's really yeah. personal and it's um it's like anything you don't go out there and and do it without experience you work up to it and i've been surfing my entire life and i think that there are guys out there in you know who are better big wave surfers than i am who would go on waves that i think are just crazy but it's all just a competition against yourself at the end. When you say work up to it, I mean, how how do you transition from like, you know, doing some pretty intense waves to something like that, like a 60 foot, 50, 60 foot wave? Like what? <laughs> well, you, um, you know, I think that being in the water and surfing a lot is the best training that you can do. Um, there's a lot of breath holds and mindfulness techniques. I mm -hmm. do a lot of um, pool training, underwater pool training. You need to take a big breath and see how many laps you can do underwater, always with a training partner. Um, and then, uh, tuning in, man. I mean, I, uh, this last swell at Mavericks really wasn't feeling it and, um, just, just tried to listen to that as best I could, um, and didn't push it. And thankfully I have other shit going on besides just surfing professionally. So my identity isn't totally wrapped up in it and it can be a very dangerous, uh, position to put yourself in. If you're a big wave surfer and all of your income is relying on catching that next big wave and getting nominated for an XXL um, competition and you see guys put themselves in stupid positions um, as a result of that, I guess, ossifying their identities to it a little too much. whole thing seems so foreign to me that i the fact that you are sponsored you've got a a, a deal worked out with patagonia how, how did that land how did you end up in that position uh it's a funny story i um so i wanted to be a pro surfer ever since i was a little kid i've always been a very physical person and um i just it seemed like pro surfing would be the greatest thing in the world um and I was sponsored by um, a number of other companies. They were, when I was in my early teens, they were just giving me 
free shirts and hats and wetsuits and i thought it was the greatest thing ever um and i and they would i would have to put my sticker on the front of the board and i remember very distinctly one day having the insight that they weren't just giving me stuff to be nice that they were actually getting something out of the deal too yeah and I thought, like, wait, so what are they getting out of this deal? I'm like, oh, okay. So they think that because I have something, a sticker on my board, and I'm wearing their product, they're going to sell more stuff. And then I had the thought, well, do I like the stuff that they're selling? Do I believe in this company that I'm representing if they think they're getting benefit from me as well? And uh, I realized that I, I didn't really. Um, I felt like the company was a little vapid and I didn't identify with it. And, you know, it's, if you, uh, spend enough time in the water, you'll just become more or less of environment an environmentalist and and start to care about your natural world just through, um, you know, being, getting sick of being sick after every rain. Um, and I think that a lot of, um, a lot of the way that our world is set up right now is, is very backwards in the sense that we live on a finite planet and we're running a linear system through it from extraction to production to consumption to disposal. Um, and uh, that has always just struck me as so odd that we don't think about that insanity more often. And a, a lot of the surf industry is set up as a very disposable industry as well, um, which is just ass backwards. Um, so I remember I was a, a senior in high school um, when I decided to take all the stickers off my board. And I was like, I just don't want to, I don't want to participate in this. It doesn't feel good. I have a, a pretty low threshold for um, <laughs> just not, I don't know, not doing stuff that I don't want to do, especially <laughs> if it feels like immoral or something. I, yeah. I just, I, I feel like I'm being kind of radiated if I if I decide that it's kind of goes against who I am, I, I just, it's it's a weird thing, but I, I feel like I've always been very sensitive to that kind of stuff. Um, and I, I started researching companies that I maybe could believe in. Um, and Patagonia was by far and away the best out there um, in the sense of that they were the first to start making organic, bringing organic cotton um, to the yeah. industry and, uh, donate a huge amount of the proceeds to environmental work. And I, um, around the same time was, was doing some research on, uh, the impact that banks have on environmental and social issues through how they use our deposits to finance dirty energy. And I, um, I had a, f- a friend of a friend that knew Yvonne Chouinard, the founder of Patagonia. And I sent him an email. I was a 17 year old kid uh, and told him I was concerned about their banking practices. I went to talk with them about it. And he fucking emailed me back wow. and uh, offered to to set up a meeting with me. And I was just this goofy kind of like geek in a athlete's body, which I, I feel like I've always just been kind of socially <laughs> awkward and um, interested in, in weird stuff. But uh, he then afterwards was like, it sounds like you're into some interesting stuff. Like, well, let's let's set something up with our team manager um and it was a very slow progression um but that relationship's lasted over 10 years now um and it went from you know just giving me some clothes to starting to help me with some financial support and i still i'm not making a ton of money but it's been a very um 
I've been able to lead such a rich life. And then that on top of being able to do the podcast and, um, and do writing has just, uh, led me down some really interesting paths. Yeah, most definitely it has. I mean, it's, it's obvious in, uh, in your, the way you pursue what it is you're doing, the questions that you ask, your sort of natural curiosity, the places you get to go, uh, and your, your overall effort seems to be, um, to educate others by educating yourself. You kind of strike me as like a, it's interesting. You're talking about hunting. You came to that from the water, you know, uh, you come to educating through asking questions. You seem to like find these little weird back roads into whatever you're doing. I mean, the fact that you came to Patagonia via their banking system, (laughs) yeah, you've definitely got sort of a quirky, uh, yeah, go go around, go around. I, uh, in, more just i would say in the last last check 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 that's right yeah Yeah. um i would say in the last year or so i've uh become most obsessed with comedy yeah Uh, most nights i'm watching some new netflix special i I think that they're such skilled communicators i think the comedians tend to be the most obsessive and, and skilled communicators in the world um and that's what it's all about right how much can you convey totally. your idea and make it resonate with others um and it, it's i've been i think i was maybe brought to comedy through um frustration with a lot of environmentalists lack of skill communicating their ideas the way that they just blovate and think that it, that it'll all be solved with numbers and um they'll change people's decisions through you know, a 10 page paper that's really boring. Um, when a comedian can give you an idea and get it, you get it so quickly. Um, but, uh, I, um, in the way of kind of going around the back, I've started doing open mics and I just go up there and, you know, I eat shit and slowly chipping away at it. But, uh, one night I was down in LA, um, doing an open mic and a friend of mine offered to take me to, um, the comedy store and they have an open mic at the comedy store, which is this world renowned venue. Um, and there were probably 250 open micers there and only 15 got to be on this list. And we're like shoulder to shoulder. And it was like this place where I think everyone's here to be discovered. And I was like, man, you like, why don't you just go around? Like, why not make, friends with a really good comedian who can give you access through the back door like what and it was funny because i i said that and i I thought about it and like that would be my first place that i would go right is like not trying don't go stand in line go stand in line (laughs) just like go around the back yeah and um we kind of did with the motherfucker awards, you know, like having access and getting to work with these world-class stand-up comedians. And then little old me is just kind of like, just getting into it. But, um, I think that there are, I, I, I've never really, um, it's a good insight that you had. I've never actually thought about the fact that I do that. Um, but I do it a lot. It seems like it. I mean, your comedic journey in this point reminds me of the, the Judd Apatow story. I don't know. Did you read his book or no, I don't anything? Know. He, you know, he started as like a high school kid. I think he, was, he had like a, I don't know if it was a radio show in high school or some sort of like little production that he would do and go around and ask comedians questions. And one of the first, he got Jerry Seinfeld. You know, he would present like this 
like you writing good emails. He would like write a good letter and be like, hey, I'd like to come see you. And when he would show up at the door, they're like, oh my God, there's a child in my house. Right. <laughs> okay, I'll guess I'll talk to you about my comedy, which is crazy. But, uh, you know, and he sort of did like you. He didn't wait in line at the comedy store. I'm sure he probably ended up doing some of that as well. But like he, you know, he found a way to to befriend and make allies in that space to sort of help propagate his message or get his comedy out there. And what I liked about the motherfucker awards, and this is a good way to transition into it. It, um, I do think comedy, like comedians are always the smartest guys in the room to me, but that, uh, that you took something so serious and so desperately fucked as our environmental situation made it funny, got all these, you know, very smart, very um, well-spoken people together to talk about this thing in a way that um, while it was still funny, it wasn't self-congratulatory. You know, the awards were for the bad guys. It wasn't like you're giving awards to environmentalists, which I think I've always been uncomfortable with, you know, like giving an award to an environmentalist because the job's never done. You've never completed the task. Yeah, David Brower has that quote, when they win, it's forever, when we win, it's temporary. Yeah. And I, I agree. And I've, uh, I, I have, you know, so much respect for people who do dedicate themselves to these environmental and social nonprofits that um, we really need and would be so much more fucked if we didn't have. Mm-hmm. You know, if you look at a like an organization like Surfrider, that's they're like one of the only organizations that's dedicated to that thin line between society and the wild. And yeah. they're one of the only organizations that is, is um, galvanizing surfers to be a, a political force um, to stand up for our beaches. Like if we didn't have that, we would be screwed. But I, I just the the tempo of not and not specifically surfrider, but just environmental organizations in general. Like, yeah, they're so self congratulatory, and I think it's because they're forced to. They're forced to make it seem like what they're doing is so important because they need to get funding uh, the next year and. Like it's just so it doesn't wreck it doesn't it's not able to zoom out in the same way that I think comedians are able to and and um I I just get it's you know it's really common for environmentalists to burn out because usually the funding isn't there and you're losing most of the time and. I just never have been willing to make that be my life. Like, I just don't identify with, although a lot of these issues make me angry, you know, if, if, if I think about the fact that a garbage truck of plastic is dumped into our oceans every minute of every day, all year long. Yeah, that pisses me off. And to know that a company like Coca-Cola is the largest plastic polluter globally, and they go into these these uh, countries like Indonesia that have zero waste infrastructure, knowing full well that they're not going to be able to deal with the trash and still do it. Yeah, that pisses me off. But I don't want to move through the world in an angry way. Right. And I think that that's the choice. Yeah. Like we, we really do have a choice, no matter how desperate the situation is. And, and it... And, the choice of still ma- like maintaining optimism has always just felt a, a little it just it it's in some ways it's dishonest if you're not really feeling optimistic but laughter has always felt the most honest yeah it doesn't laughter doesn't even depend on honesty right you know laughter is independent of false or true or it's just right. laughter it's its own little thing one thing i liked about um and I've always liked about comedians and I've, 
I've been an environmentalist. I've been an activist and, and ran a nonprofit. And I see um, environmentalists and nonprofit people are working for the community, but they don't sound like the normal human being. No, they're not allowed to. And uh, a comedian is very much working for his or herself, him or herself. Where's my grammar? Sorry. He or herself. He or herself. Yeah. They're, it's a solitary, uh, singular pursuit, but they sound like everyone else. So it's it's you can relate to a comedian like I don't know Plato or Socrates you know like the the relatable is you're gonna believe that more than you're gonna listen to like a scientist explain it to you because he doesn't sound like you. That's a really interesting way. And way I, to put it. I, I when I first heard about the motherfucker awards from Chris um, and contacted you I, like I wanted to be in whatever way I just wanted to touch it because I was like okay that's that's legit because it's you're gonna hear real voices that are completely i mean the comedian is out to make money and to to become famous and they're scratching an itch to be seen and i I get it totally get it not knocking that at all but they can be heard whereas an environmentalist i mean you can't go out and swear constantly or make the joke constantly because it's not funny and your stakeholders and your the people who fund your grants don't want to read in your grant report that you said cocksucker at a meeting (laughs) yeah you know it's just not you can't call the ceo of coke cocksucker you know so i i I get it but that's that's why i think like and and when i this is around i'm terrible at asking questions no this is good i like it it. but the uh, you're drawing insights that i've never thought of which is really fun well the the question i'm i'm slowly getting to is uh i'm wondering about you know for one the feedback pushback uh, that you've gotten from the Motherfucker Awards and that you've maybe given yourself afterwards. You got any of that that you can share? Yeah. Um, yeah, well, the, the feedback's been great because I think that now more than ever, people feel outrage um, about what's going on. But, uh, you know, outrage is such an, a, a repugnant emotion. Um, you can't do it yeah. for very long. It's not sustainable. Right. And and it's diffused. yeah. At the moment, sorry to interrupt. Um, yeah, yeah, no, it is. But um, you know, behind the laughter at the mofas is outrage, mm-hmm. and I think that for people who who are tuned in and feel that anger, to give them that kind of cathartic night of laughing about the end of the world, you mm-hmm. know, like the, we had two comedians, uh, Natasha Legero and, and Moshe Kasher, who <laughs> they're um, in real life, they're a couple, but they went up um, representing Chase Bank, which is uh, the number one financier of tar sands energy, which is one of the dirtiest forms of energy on earth. Um, and they were introduced by Matt Taibbi, who's a Rolling Stone journalist who does a lot of great investigating investigative reporting on the banking system. And they went up um, and pretended to be the sibling heirs of Chase Bank in an incestuous romantic relationship <laughs> and made the argument that the only way that they could still feel horny was by financing dirty energy. <laughs> so unless you're somehow anti-incest and anti-love, you'll have to agree that we still need to finance tar sands energy. Yeah. And just like that moment, if there was ever a moment in the whole thing um that just made me feel like yes this is this is what i want like yeah. we got matt taibbi and moshe kasher and natasha legero in the same room yeah. talking about a really important issue that's often overlooked because people don't see banking as sexy and we're getting people to laugh about it like it that just it gave me it still gives me shivers yeah. and it was like if any if anything beyond that 
I was like, fuck it. This is, this is a success. Um, the high note. Yeah. (laughs) And, uh, yeah. So I think people really enjoyed it for that reason. Um, I think that it gave a lot of those people who, who have decided to lead more, um, straight lives kind of permission to laugh because they're, you know, a lot of, I know a lot of environmental directors that just feel this kind of constriction around not being able to be themselves publicly oh, for so sure to be able to go to uh, an event that talked about their issue mm-hmm. in a funny way and allow them to feel permission to laugh it seemed like they really enjoyed that and um and we got props from people who i really respect i um have been in communication since the the motherfucker awards with lawrence lessig who's a, a, a professor of law at harvard and um he was recently on joe rogan's podcast i highly recommend that episode um and he does a lot of work on campaign finance reform he's really in my opinion the clearest voice on campaign finance reform in the country and just someone who i have so much respect for so talk about going through the back door to get access to these kinds of thought leaders um that's been really really fun for i think for chris and i to just continue access um into these amazing circles which is what life's all about right yeah for sure so what's what's the pushback been what have you gotten any kind of like criticism or have you heard anything from the awardees the winners so we've sent out emails to all of our lovely motherfucker award winners um asking where we can send their trophy and looking for comment um unfortunately they haven't sent us back responses yet but i'm I'm hoping they will soon um we've also launched a campaign that has been really fun where um people can congratulate the winners online by finding their logos around town so this could be like a chase bank logo and they take a selfie and they flip off the company and say congratulations motherfucker so <laughs> we've been getting a bunch of photos coming in yeah. uh it's called the selfie salute challenge um and yeah beyond, beyond that i'm we're now just kind of uh chris and i are gonna regroup next month and figure out where we can uh make it better what we can do to make it bigger but um yeah man it's just it, it was one of the only projects i've done where i felt like um like I was being pushed along, like the idea just had this tide that was in our favor, yeah. um, in a way that I've really never experienced before. Yeah. Have you heard anything from environmental groups or anything like that? A lot of them really love it, man. It's, it's been, um, again, I, I, I uh, I think that the people who are the most engaged in these kinds of issues love it the most just to have there be a different voice out there. Um, and it's not that our voice is, is better than anyone else's. It's just an, yeah. another one that wasn't out there. Uh, and again, that choice to be able to laugh at these issues. Yeah. Um, I think that people really enjoy I, I, You know, the only uh, the only real negative um, feedback we've had is, is from apathetic people. But like, you, you know, this isn't going to do anything. What are you even doing? And it's like, oh, okay, well. That's yeah, that's like, where you're at. It's like, kind what of are says, you doing? <laughs> yeah, well, it just says more about them than it sure. does about us. So for for me, um, I I think you and I have this in common. I tend to look at things. Just I I don't receive my news. I go get it. You know, I I, I try to think critically about just about everything except for when I don't. <laughs> but uh, when I 
you know, I sat right up front. I was right there. I was listening and I, you know, I wanted to, I never felt comfortable flipping off. You know, I, I'm not like a, I don't for one take selfies, but you know, like flipping off the thing, it just didn't feel, um, anger is not really where my go-to, you know, even though I'm, I'm very angry about a lot of these things. And I, I um, I'm also very self-aware that I'm as much a part of all of it as I am a critic. You know, I, I've, Put my share of plastic in the ocean. You know what I mean? I mean, not directly, but sure. I've been as much a part of the problem as I have been a solution. I, I will say I am proudly vasectomized. So I've got like a, yeah, a carbon. You're in the green then. Yeah, Don't worry about it. I've got it, a man. carbon pass Do for whatever life. you want. But, um, but no, so like I, my only pushback on it, I guess, and I'm, I'm very positive about the whole experience. I loved it. I thought it was hilarious. It was much funnier than I thought it was going to be. And I thought it was going to be pretty funny. So, but um, I had a, where I, I wanted to sort of engage more with my own hypocrisy in it. I don't know if it's just my own, like I wanted to feel better about sure. myself, but like, and maybe it's the old Catholic in me, like the, the slowly recovering Catholic that I want to be punished for something. But, um, the, you know, the, the element of like, Hey, uh, you know, this thing could only really exist via social media because you couldn't say motherfucker awards on television. Like this can't be on television except for HBO, you know, or some sort of pay thing. So it can only exist within, social media and they were one of the most like social media the parent of it facebook was one of the award winners so there's like this you know instant sort of like hypocrisy loop that we're all in sure and yeah uh, we're that, using all the products right right, right. And that that was the one note i didn't feel like i got i, I didn't necessarily hear that get played but i don't know if i just no no and, no and we we i would say personally um i would say uh purposely didn't play that note um one of the comedians did because we didn't come up with the comics speeches um yeah. we gave them fact sheets about what yeah. their company's accomplishments were and one of those uh companies was coca-cola and representative uh comedian jake johansson did a <laughs> bit about how grateful he was to all of us for using their products yeah. because he couldn't have become the largest plastic polluter without us right, right. which i thought was a, a very funny speech um but you know for a long time in my uh probably from ages 18 to 25 i did a series called surfing for change um and this was supported by patagonia and um it's how i spent a lot of my time it was a, a short form documentary series about environmental issues in um coastal destinations around the world. And we covered everything from, from plastic pollution to the GMO protests in Hawaii um, to a nuclear power plant proposed in South Africa, this great wave. And a lot of um, the, the messages were, here's something you can do. You know, yeah. bring your own bottle when you uh, go to the store next or put your money in a local bank. Um, and I do think that it is it's important on a certain level to take accountability for your actions um, because it, it gets you out of the victim mindset. So I think that psychologically it's, it's really healthy for people to take ownership of themselves as much as possible. But the reality is that no, we can do what we can, but these corporations are way, way, way bigger than us. And a policy from Coca-Cola will create way, way, way bigger impact than any one of us will. And the way that our, that a lot of these corporations are set up is sociopathic. 
you know, if you, let's take Purdue Pharma, for example, they were one of the winners for the spirit category for outstanding efforts to break the human spirit. Um, they brought Oxycontin to market and lied about its addictive properties and aggressively marketed it to the American public. Um, we're now in the largest opioid epidemic in our country's history. It's the leading cause of death among young people. You know, they love making the argument that this is uh, the problem of the addict. You know, it, let's put it on them. Right. Um, Coca-Cola loves making the argument that, you know, this is on the consumer. Just don't buy our product. Chase Bank, you know, they love making that argument. You know, well, just don't don't bank with us. But, you know, you, I'm, I'm kind of mixing mixing stories here, but they set it up so that it's very, very difficult to get yourself out of this destructive right. loop. Right. Um, and I think that these corporations should take more responsibility for the impact that they're having on society. They, they make it seem like it's this symbiotic relationship between um, them and their lovely customers, but it's in reality, it's really parasitic. They take all of the profits and then they socialize the costs on us. When it comes to Purdue Pharma, they do that in the way of, of coroner's offices and firefighters and um, hospitals having to, and us having to foot the bill for um, all of these addicts and o- overdoses. Um, you know, in the, in the way of Chase Bank, you know, they, it's... Uh, we have to foot the bill with with dirty energy, and you know when a collapse happens, it it, it all gets put back on us. Yeah. So I f- I feel like that argument that like you just got to take more responsibility for yourself is is incomplete in the world that we live in right now. You know we live in a, a world now where four or five banks control virtually all deposits in the U.S. Um, on social media, it becomes very very difficult to get your message out there without Facebook. And, and then, you know, in a truly earnest um, free market where there was real true, er, like earnest competition, if Instagram came along, for example, and all of a sudden more and more people were were uh, starting to use Instagram's product, Facebook would have to develop their own version of Instagram that would, better, would be better. But because these corporations have so much market share, Facebook will just buy up Instagram. And then it's like, okay, well, where do I go now to get the message out? Um, so I think that, and this is something that Lawrence Lessig talks a lot about, is, is these antitrust laws that have not been implemented. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I hear what you're saying as far as accountability. And I think that, that psychologically it's really important to be accountable. And I, and I try and pick up plastic off the beach whenever I um, go surfing and I think that make, taking action locally For as sure. well is is really important because it's so easy to get overwhelmed by this stuff. And then you really can make a difference if you just try and change your block. Right. Um, change the way you eat. Change, you know, totally. there are these little things. Um, but the fact that America is so divided now and we're just throwing grenades at each other while these corporations are just given more and more free reign to, you know, it, as Matt Taibbi says, the world's greatest investment bank is a, is a giant vampire squid wrapped around the face of humanity, relentlessly jamming its blood funnel into anything that smells like money. Yeah. And the fact that we don't pay any attention to it, um, I think is, is missing the point. 
hands and untesting faces. Reach it up, but not quite touching the promised land. Well, my taste is and a whole lot of precious years wasted. So that 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 point you just made about that we are uh, in a societal sense throwing grenades at one another, um, you know, the, your message in that like personal accountability was sort of is just sort of implied. If you're the sort of person who's going to go to the Motherfucker Awards, you've got that somewhere in your brain that okay, accountability is the thing. What I guess I was referring more to is like I, I don't want anybody necessarily to feel bad. It's not like a confession and that you're going to go like be absolved of your sins for having confessed what you've done. It's more of like uh, you're aware of your own hypocrisy. You're less likely to throw that grenade if you realize the reason you have to throw it is because you've already thrown one. Right. You know what I mean? Like you have to throw another one because you threw that first one. You know, right. it's it's more of that the psychological uh, being accountable to your own uh, complicit nature of yeah. the thing you know your tacit approval being aware of that not necessarily that okay we need you to bring your bottle most of those people are bringing their bottles anyway you know right. what I mean? but, yes i agree I, I look we are all hypocrites in a certain sense and that's yeah. why people hate vegans so much is that they don't recognize right. even a, their own hypocrisy a vegan and, with a dog yeah exactly <laughs> vegan with a dog um yeah but i think that that's for a lot of people the next logical step is well, then you can't point your finger at anyone. Right. You know, Which like is, I, I went to a protest last week. Um, it, so here in Santa Cruz in the Monterey Bay, um, it's this beautiful, thriving ecosystem. But um, we have these cruise ships that come in and they're these cities that go into our bay and they um, their engines are running 24 uh, seven. There there's been cases of dumping and uh, a lot of surfers and I showed up at this protest last week, um, and I posted something on social media, and someone said, well, if unless you're not driving a car then and not eating meat, you, right. you know, point the finger back at yourself, motherfucker. And it's like, mm, no, that's not the next... Yeah, that's, that's not, the, not the next step. Like, right. we need to be organized, and we need to call out bullshit, especially in the most leveraged places where change can be created as i as i say i don't think that coca-cola is going to go away but i think that they should um realize that people are paying attention yeah well and that's an interesting thing talking about paying attention uh social media the value of getting that message out out there balanced with the value of ignoring most of the shit on there right i can't even imagine i mean you you have a, a larger audience and 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 reach a lot of people so i imagine you get comment you get feedback that's you know from both ends of the spectrum congratulatory and go fuck yourself uh and and that typically on that end of the spectrum the go fuck yourself spectrum it's um like you said earlier it's sort of a reflection of whoever's writing it but it's also just this very ignorable drivel in any other context you know like if it was out in the public you'd like well that person's clearly not well maybe they should drink some water or doing, some <laughs> yeah. doing some help you know like right but online it's suddenly like oh my god i've been attacked 
I've been hounded, set upon by these things. It's such a bizarre thing because that that same person is who you need to see the message. You know, like that, that that needs to get the message that there's things that need to change and that you can hold opposing views. You know. Yeah. Well, I think that that's one of the real beautiful things about podcasting is that. Um, you know, you can listen in. So a lot of the people that listen to my podcast are um, ocean people, ocean enthusiasts, mm-hmm. surfers, uh, but I'll sit down with sex therapists or journalists and um, can serve as this conduit between um, that audience and those worlds that they would never otherwise be in. And uh, I think that what's so beautiful about that is that, you know, anyone listening to this show is anonymous. So they're just listening to our conversation and my account of the way that I see the world and your account of it. And um, I think that the information can can get in in a way less um, threatening way hmm. than other mediums. Whereas like if you see a, a, a video and someone's pointing their finger at you, like you need to yeah. do this or a comment on Instagram, it's just so easy to shut down. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I got an email yesterday from someone. I had a, a firefighter on, and I got an email from this kid who said that he's now a firefighter because of that podcast. <laughs> um, and it, that might not have happened if, uh, you know, there was this recruiter outside Whole Foods telling him to be a, a firefighter. I think sure. that an honest account is one of the most persuasive forms of communication. Um, so all of that is is to say that, I I think podcasting is great and it's also great because 95% of the um, interactions that I have with people on social media or otherwise are positive, you know, yourself included. Like I knew that we were going to have a a fun conversation because there's just this kind of circle of like-minded people. Yeah. Um, That's fun. It's fun for people. I think that a lot of people feel isolated. Um, Mm -hmm. I know that I do sometimes and, and I feel sometimes like I can connect more deeply with people on podcasts or even just listening to a podcast than I can someone in my neighborhood. Yeah. I, I think of it um, as we're all strangers in private. You know what I mean? Even like these people that have connected online and you got a friend, uh, it, it is isolating. All this connectivity that we have, social media, constant access to the news, seeing what some dickhead in Wisconsin had for lunch. I mean, it's all, it's all in this one, you know, box that brings you your shopping and your pornography and everything to you know but it 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 does isolate you the more input you get from that one little source the more isolated you become so it it is kind of nice to in that little isolating bubble to get you know like with you you're talking to all different types of professionals and interesting people we're we're talking to mostly kind of just normal people who have fascinating stories um to get that suddenly into your world, in your ears, if you can manage to stay awake through my intro, <laughs> you know it's a, uh, it's it's a beautiful thing. I think I'm, I feel grateful to have been turned on to podcasts and almost like a presumptuous trickster to be you know sharing one with people. <laughs> but it's a, it's a beautiful thing, man. I think everyone should start a podcast. I think yeah. everyone should at least do two or three podcasts mm-hmm. uh, because. Yeah, we were talking about this earlier. Like, it really incentivizes curiosity. Yeah, um, and it incentivizes empathy and understanding. Because if you just sit here on my couch and start shouting at me, like you might in a CNN Crossfire interview, you know, that's like their mo. That's the way that they get ratings. Right. Um, I'd probably ask you to leave, 
but you're you really model healthy conversation with mm-hmm. podcasting. I think that the world needs more of that. Um, and, and modeling understanding of, of different points of view and, and just hearing from different people, yeah. um, I think is, it's good for the world. I agree. I agree. How, how are you doing on time? I'm, I got time. It's 11.45. Yeah, yeah, no, let's keep it going. Cool. Yeah. I, I think about it like, like the archiving that podcasting makes possible. Um, like for instance, my my dad, I'll never hear his voice again. He died, and it, you know, I used to think to myself, man, I'd really like to get some of his stories. He was like one of thirteen children that survived infancy in his family, and they grew up dirt poor, and like he was drafted to Vietnam. I mean, he's got he had an interesting story. Like so, to be able to hear him tell that would be incredible, you know. Um, and there's so many instances like that throughout time where it would have been very difficult to, not everybody has recording equipment or had, but now everyone does. Everyone's got a phone. Everyone has a means to record something. And it doesn't, the audio quality doesn't matter, you know, in, in that context of you just like thinking of it like a podcast, like you're asking someone a question and, and sharing it back and recording the thing for posterity or for whatever. I think it's a valuable insight um, into what kind of people you're around in your life. And I, I think to your point, everyone should do a podcast. I think everyone should interview strangers mm. as well as their family. But like, I'll hear things from someone on a podcast and then maybe their kid listens to it or to a relative that knows them really well. They're like, I did not know that about so-and-so. Because you'll tell a stranger something in a way that you won't tell your mom or your sister or a friend. You know, a stranger, it's like you're less... I don't know the all the the judgment that would come before with someone who already knows you, you're off the hook for that. Yeah, no, it's it's a real beautiful thing, man. One thing that I've done that's um, been so fun in the last couple of years on mine is I uh, let people leave these little voice memos for me and yeah. they email them to me. So they're just little minute long. It's like, hey, this is Caroline. I'm on a trip out in Zimbabwe right now, listening yeah. to your podcast. And uh, and I turned Chris onto that and yeah. now he just gets flooded with these yeah. voice memos. But um, man, it just puts a smile on my face every time I get that. Yeah. Um, because it can still be lonely. Like even though I'm, I'm reaching um, a, a good amount of people, uh, it still sometimes feels like there's no one out there and you're like, is, is there anyone really Actually, listening to this? Like, yeah. am I just here? Like, do I have three jobs or am I self or am I unemployed? I really don't. <laughs> it's like some days it feels like I'm, I'm this like writer, producer, yeah. pro surfer, podcaster. And some days I'm like, is it just 1230 and I'm sitting alone at my house and is there anyone out there? Yeah. Um, so t- <laughs> I think that for my own mental health, uh, getting these yeah. little voice memos has been as important That's as great. anything. That's um, great. You know, <laughs> it's a strange thing. And I know that, that even Chris feels that too. Um, really? so I, yeah. when I'm down in LA, I, I stay with him. Um, and he's just been as much of a, a mentor to me as anyone. It's, it's pretty cool that he's been willing to take me under his wing and, um, just invest so much time into me sometimes feels like it's, it feels similar to like Matt Taibbi agreeing to do the interview where I'm like, shit, man, I have so much respect for you. The fact that you are willing to give me this is, um, 
is really good. It makes me feel like I'm on track here because um, Chris has this, this great line. He always says, he says, there's a, a thin line between not giving a fuck and not having a clue. <laughs> Boy, and, that line in, in my case is, yeah, razor thin. I razor, <laughs> right? And like, I, I, I feel that too, where I'm sometimes yeah. like, because I, I, I'm kind of doing it, but like, and I don't know if you ever really feel like you make it or anything like that, but just to get those little nudges along from from people, whether it's a listener who calls in and, and says, hey, this this really helped, I'm really enjoying it, or from someone who I really respect investing more time in me, like it, that I think is what has helped me keep going. Yeah. Um, because my, my life, like I'm incredibly privileged in a ton of ways. I very much recognize that and have been, you know, never really had to work a nine to five because I just, I knew from a very yeah. young age that I needed to figure out a way making money doing something that that uh allowed me to just constantly be like learning new things Mm -hmm. if i if i stay stagnant i get i just um get it i i I need to constantly be diving into new things and i need to figure out uh, ways to pull that off um and i and i have been able to so far with um just leading a, a frugal life and um but all of that is to say that um, I think that, uh, you know, it, it can be really hard to, to wake up and not n- not have a boss to tell you mm-hmm. what to do. And, and I've changed so much in, you know, from when I was 18, decide that I want to lead this kind of life to now and to just have those little... Um, those little moments where where people are constantly kind of pulling you up and make you feel like you're on the right track it it, it does make the difference um yeah no i i i very much feel that i've had a lot of nine to five jobs right. but i i i've had a lot of nine to five jobs right. you know what i mean like i i feel that the the concept of stagnancy is repugnant to me right uh i, I can't i would rather not be alive than be I don't know that I ever necessarily feel bored. I don't know if I have or not. I kind of feel like I don't. When people describe to me what boredom is, I don't think I've ever experienced that. I've certainly experienced like I'd rather be doing something else. Right. But there's always something else going on. Right. You know, the symphony in my brain is entertaining enough. If I just listen, I'm I'm not bored. But the that that feeling of being alone in this, I often wonder if anybody's actually listening to this as well (laughs) so to get those emails and get that feedback is really cool but to to have a guy like chris in your life and i feel very fortunate to know chris and to know other people like that who are are accomplished and smart and willing to invest time time in me and the way that chris has invested time in you or matt tybee but you i feel like do a great job of making it worth their investment like I, i see i feel like you put a certain amount of, um, or an equal amount of respect back into whatever it is that you're receiving from a guy like Chris or from Matt. Yeah. You know. I, I feel like that's actually the only way I've been able to make this kind of life work. Like, again, I do not take it for granted that mm-hmm. the fact that I've been able to pull this off in one way or another, like learned how to write grants at a very young age mm-hmm. to supplement my income and do, do speaking gigs. And like, it's a very self, like, in one way, it's a very selfish life, very like me-centric life. But mm-hmm. the only way that I can pull that off is by constantly making it worth it for other people to invest, to invest their time in, yeah. in me. And, and I think that um, 
it's really easy to to start off in a, a relationship and say like, well, what is it that you have for me? What are you going to give me? Mm-hmm. And uh, people just tell you to screw off yeah. because they're busy. So I, I've always been, um, I've always uh, been very keenly aware of other people's time and uh, always been very keenly aware of how I can make it worth their time to get what I want. Like there was this, um, I watched a documentary uh, called Jim and Andy, um, called Jim and Andy about uh, Jim Carrey playing Andy Kaufman. Oh my it's a God. documentary. And, and yeah. he has this line in it where he says, um, you know, I was figuring out my stand up comedy and I was thinking, how am I going to, you know, what do I want? Okay. Well, I, I know what I want. I want to be rich. I want to be famous. I want to be successful comedian. But then I thought, well, well how I do that is I give the audience what they want yeah. and what do they want? And he said, what they want is to be free from concern. Mm-hmm. And he said he, he had that insight and he sat up in the middle of night of the night and on his next evening doing stand up, he walked out on stage and he said, Hey, how's everybody doing? All righty then. Yeah. Like he just didn't give a fuck. Right. And he yeah. said, the audience just exploded. Yeah. And I think about that when I, um, ask people to to do things um you know what's what is it that makes um what is it that that makes someone like Lawrence Lessig want to participate in the motherfucker awards like I I think it's because like he wants permission to go up and be and break out of that mold that he's maybe in of being the intellectual and like get to be funny or with with comedians I think you know a lot of these comedians they um, went up there for, for very little money. We pulled this whole thing off on a shoestring budget. And I think that maybe what they want was wanted was like a little bit more meaning than just to tell fart jokes. And like that, what they really appreciated, they said after the fact was that they felt like they had an assignment. Like yeah. Chris and I gave them these facts and we're like, okay, make this funny. Right so they jokes. were, they then used their skills on behalf of, wanting to of, of some, on behalf of doing something a little bit yeah. bigger um or you know with with big guests that i ask like i i think of like, okay well money doesn't really matter to these people their time is really important so what if i can give them an experience like mm-hmm. surfing that they would otherwise never uh never do and, and i i really respect people's time man like i yeah. i write short emails yes. when they're in if i do an intro email it's never more than two paragraphs. I always give them an out. I always say, hey man, I know how busy you are. It's totally cool if you don't respond to this rather than the presumptuous, like thanks for your quick reply. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm always keenly aware of their time. Yes. I mean, even with Chris is one of my best friends. I've known him for, for three years and he's still he's a busy guy and and when i'm up there i'm always asking like hey man is there anything i can do for you what's what's something that you need to to make happen um and like just the other day he was in bali and he wrote me and was like hey like would you mind printing out this document and um like sending it here i'm sure 100 percent. no problem let me know what you need yeah um and uh that's it's that's the only way that i've been able to pull this thing off similar with surfing man i i one of my close friends is a guy named greg long he's a 
two-time big wave world champion he's just like he's the the rock star and a really good guy um and uh also one of my close friends but he invites me on these surfing trips that i get to go on and and it provides like 90 percent of the value for my sponsors throughout the year because we always get photos in magazines and um i'm not the greatest surfer in the world by any means um but he brings me along on these trips and puts me in the spotlight and i i think that you know with him we, we really connect and i also um provide consistent um ideas that aren't in the surfing world so when we're on a trip together we're not usually talking about surfing i'm talking yeah. about you know a recent interview i did over in this completely different world and he yeah. loves it he's just like dude i'm i'm surrounded by surfers all the time so i want to have you around just to <laughs> talk about be able to talk else. about something else so it's yeah. it's never any one thing but sure. I, but i think that it's um yeah everyone could probably get what they wanted a lot more quickly if they were more aware of what other people wanted. Then reinvest. Uh, I want to make a hard shift before we sign off. Sure, I have time. I, I, I met your dad at the uh, at the Mofas. He was the first guy I ran into when I got there. Uh, and I immediately liked him. I didn't realize he was your dad. We just started talking. I thought he was a cool guy. Uh, told me a little bit about going on the river uh, on the Grand Canyon. And it yeah. just seemed like, talk about somebody who has invested in someone like how many siblings have you got you got um i'm the youngest of five but i'm uh it's half brothers and sisters so gotcha. my dad had had three kids my mom had three kids i was the third on their the side so it's, it's kind of like a venn diagram style family <laughs> you're in the middle i'm in the middle but yeah my dad's a badass he's a filmmaker and yeah. 72 years old and just did a three-week trip down the grand canyon uh yeah, he and I don't know if this is the story that you're going to tell. I didn't mean to derail you, no, but no, no, he, no. Uh, so he uh, getting a um, ticket to go down the Grand Canyon is really difficult. Takes sure. a long, long time because they limit the amount of rafts that can go down. Um, and my my dad knew a guy who had an extra ticket, um, and my dad said, "Hey, man, I'll film the whole thing for free if you give me that ticket." And the guy was like. Well, it'd be great to have a filmer on. Yeah. 70, 72, 73 years old. And uh, yeah. he's still thinking that way. And he's yeah. that's gotten him in some amazing situations as well. So the, talk about a guy who's made an investment that paid off tremendously. Like his ethos, it seemed to me just in the brief meeting, I haven't met your mom, but like that seemed like a very, a through line of personality from your dad to you. I mean, do you, do you feel like close to your dad in that way? Do you feel like he's had a, that sort of impact on you? you yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. My dad and my mom have both had, um, tremendous impacts on me. Um, and yeah, my, my dad's always been, um, he, I would say that he's had the unpretension impact on me. Like, just don't, don't wait. Don't, you don't need to get the master's degree to go out and start filming some stuff. Just here's a camera, go do it now. Mm -hmm. Um, and he, uh, you know, it's, it's funny because he probably has that a little too much where like he even still sometimes won't prepare enough for big shoots and stuff. I'm like, ah, it's all good. We'll just pull it off. And I think that there's a, a beauty to the fact that he's in his seventies and will still like sleep on the airport floor <laughs> using his shoe as a pillow in Bangladesh or something right. like that's just 
him and it's yeah. it's awesome it's salt of the earth dude um but i think that because of that um you know in a way like i think he um to be you know totally honest he i, I feel like it's he's kind of limited himself sometimes on on the projects that he's been able to pull off because he didn't value more um really planning it out Mm-hmm. Like he was always late when he would pick me up from school as a kid, just like 15 minutes late, but it's like, that's all good. And I mean, look, if that's the baggage that I have with my dad, I think yeah, it's, doing I'm doing great. pretty well. <laughs> um, but I have, uh, I think in, in a way take like taken some the best and then also recognize that I don't want to be limited mm-hmm. by being 15 minutes late. And, you know, doing the Motherfucker Awards was the biggest project I've ever tried to pull off, you know, with with Chris. And, like, he, he said, you know, at the beginning of it, he's like, all right, like, well, I'll, I'll do it, but you're going to be the one you do producing it. this. Yeah, <laughs> you, you handle all of the logistics. Yeah. Um, and I was so hyper anal about every little detail because... Um, I, I had to be and like and it felt so good to like to exercise that part of myself mm-hmm. in a a town like Santa Cruz that's just a little bit relaxed mm-hmm. it's kind of chill and you know in a, a world of surfers where it's like it's cool to be 15 minutes late right but uh you know I, I see people that are really razor sharp and and um, as fully potent as they can be and that's been something that has been really fun for me to exercise too, is a little bit of that, um, a little bit of the opposite side. And I think that my mom is, is much more that way. Like my mom, she's on point. She's yeah. She's she like, you, you ask her for some double a batteries. She'll get you like triple a double a nine volt just in case. Are they, they're not together anymore. They're not together. No, they divorced when I was six. Yeah. Uh, but she's, uh, documentary filmmaker and producer as well wow so, shit is just in your family it's as, in my family and, and again I, t- I talk about you know we, we all want to pretend like we're uh islands but we're just products of our parents no oh, matter how hard we try not yeah. to be almost the harder you try to be the more that they've shaped you uh, yeah and and just what you were saying about using aspects of your father as a barometer and a reverse barometer yeah you know i i've I've got a lot of siblings as well. There's six of us. I think my sister and I mathematically share the middle, but the, the um, using what they've gone through as a means to learn what not to do right. is incredibly valuable. I think that's what, if there's any lesson anybody can learn out there, it's just as important in the, the spaces, you know, like what's not there, what what not to do is hugely important. Right. It's, it's, it's some of the best influence you can get, I think. Well, we tend to think of teachers only as people who have taught us good lessons, mm-hmm. but sometimes the best lessons we learn are from w- what we don't want to do. Yeah. And it's, it's so strange when I think about my mom and my dad, because again, like my dad's he's Mr. Fix it. Like he's been to the Santa Cruz flea market every Saturday and Sunday for the last 25 years. And he cannot pass up a good deal. And he loves like, Oh Kyle, I just got this. Like my dad bought a fucking hot air balloon once (laughs) because it was a great deal. 
He's like, this guy was just selling it. And I'm thinking, like, you know, we could get you and your brother. We just go up in the hot air balloon. <laughs> like, never thought that, like, oh, it's actually like 10 grand a year in insurance oh, and super God. dangerous. And we ended up actually taking it up one day and, like, pulled it off. And you know, I just love him to death for the yeah. fact that he's. <laughs> He is that kind of person. And I, I want that, like that kind of spontaneity yeah. and just yeah. love for those moments is, is so great. Oh my God. Whereas, you know, my mom will, uh, she'll hire the cleaners, you know, because she wants to spend her time doing, doing something, something else. else. Sure. And I want to fall somewhere in between that. Like, I don't want to ever uh, get to the point where I'm just like hiring out everything. And I realized, you know, with with the mofas man like delegation was the key and i couldn't pull that yeah. off and to have someone like you step up and be like hey man what do you need how can i help like <laughs> i realized that if any one person wouldn't have shown up like potentially the whole thing could have fallen apart <laughs> i think you were pretty safe if i didn't show up i think yeah. i think you're incredibly named uh was it your cousin jimmy carter jimmy yeah jimmy carter yeah jimmy carter my it's, cousin uh, like you're just so no set relationship up for success born I'm, I'm imagining born after the 80s yeah you know and named jimmy carter you're just set up for life right to be a badass yeah i liked him immediately he's great yeah, yeah. well man thank you so much for your time yeah I, I know you got a lot of shit to do and you're healing uh from a broken arm yeah it's so, getting there yeah um yeah thank you i i love doing podcasts where i feel like i learned something new cool it's you're a great host no thanks man thank you
Tiffany here, saying thank you for listening to the Monkey Tooth Podcast. If you haven't already, or it's been a while, check out our website, mtp.dog. There's plenty of information there. An about tab with a little bio on Andrew, myself, and our dog Pele. There's also a van build tab detailing how we did our van conversion. A journal tab and we, as an Andrew, are doing our best to keep that up to date. And last but not least, a contact tab where you can leave your thoughts, suggestions, or questions. You can also contact us on social media. We are on Facebook and Instagram, Monkey Tooth Podcast. If you would like to donate and or subscribe to the cause, you can go to Patreon and GoFundMe at Monkey Tooth Podcast. Patreon is not just a place to subscribe. We post lots of content there as well. We greatly appreciate each and every one of you. Love to all.